Welcome to Blackbird episode number four. My name is James, and today I'm excited to bring to you Pete Quinones. Pete was on the show before uh, under the Urban Agorist title, and he's back today to talk about kind of his political or philosophical journey. Um, as you probably remember, Pete uh, became an agorist last year and um, in recent months has sort of morphed a little bit. Um, he's realigned with the Libertarian Party, but in kind of a unique way. So I wanted to talk to him about that. And after the interview, I want to play you the trailer for an event that's coming up. So stick around for that. But first, here is my interview with Pete Quinones. All right, Pete, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about um, your sort of uh, journey back into the LP Mises Caucus um, but uh, it turns out some big news has happened this week. So I'd like to kind of get into that. I think the biggest news probably is that your great documentary, The Monopoly on Violence, is available for streaming on Amazon Prime now. Uh, so I want to make sure to get that plug in. See, see that smile? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a huge thing. You guys have been working on that for a long time. So uh, next stop, Netflix, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be nice yeah cool so i'll make sure to i'll make sure to link to that for the two people who haven't actually watched it yet um and uh it'll be easier for us to share it with everybody too um so with that out of the way uh you have um kind of taken a turn away from uh anti-politics agorism um and more toward uh i guess you call yourself a machiavellian right um, yeah, I would, I, I, it's something that I've studied. I'm studying, continuing huh? to study. And, um, I think that it's something that fascinates me. It, it you know, reading the Prince, I've read, read the Prince years ago, reread it. And then Burnham's the Machiavellians reading that in the last year has really changed me a lot, has changed my thinking, has changed my outlook. And, um, yeah, it it hasn't changed me that much. I still think agorism is like the chief strategy. Yeah, I mean, to I, me, it, it to me it seems like agorism is probably like a really great individual strategy. But mm -hmm. we have learned that individuals, uh, you know, I mean, individualism is sort of the the the, the Ayn Rand's uh, definition almost of you know, Correct. what our ideology is, but that's, that's, that's a, that's a really, really good 20th century mindset in my right. opinion. Um, so I, I listened to Burnham's the Machiavellians uh, in preparation for this. Um, I, uh, on audible, which, uh, and it, you're right. It's fantastic. It, I mean, at the end of the book, he actually predicted the dim age as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, he recognized it and he was writing in like 1941 for, mm -hmm. uh, for those unfamiliar. Um, so what what to you is Machiavellianism? It's seizing power and rewarding your enemy, rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, and, a, that's that's what Curtis Yarbin says. And I have to agree with him because sure. yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know that book existed. But for him um, and when he says that, when I read that book, which I've read it three times now and. Then I go back and I read the prints again. It is that's exactly what it is, but it is a lot more. I mean, that's just a a minor desolation. There there is more to it, and 
really reading the prints with the Burnham take on it is to try to understand exactly what a Machiavellian would do, what the prince would do. Yeah. So um, I think one place where you and Yarvin kind of diverge, uh, you have written a lot lately on your Substack, which everyone should subscribe to, um, about taking over local politics, you know, becoming the the strong mayor rather than rather than where Yarvin is more about becoming like the United States monarch. Do you see that? Right. Yeah. Well, I agree with him that Basically, what he's talking about now is he's talking about becoming like a um, you're basically like a hostage in the country and you drop out of politics. And you know he's talking about that right now. I don't I agree with that on the national level. I think really the only thing we should be doing on the national level right now is lobbing bombs at them metaphorically in Minecraft. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't get accused of insurrection. Right. But but locally, I think a lot can be done locally politically. And I think that is where a smart Machiavellian can actually make probably the most progress. I mean, it's not like you're going if you do it all perfectly, it's going to you're going to you're going to get people coming after you. But um, I think local politics is actually the way to go. Um, 2020 was a tough year for me. Um, I found myself, and I've, I've written on, on Substack about this, I found myself reacting to what was happening. And when you're reacting to information, it's easy to make mistakes. It's what you should be doing is as that information is coming in, you should be examining it as much as possible, tearing it apart and figuring out exactly what it is. And I think that now that's what, what I'm doing. I mean, my latest article, uh, my latest two articles are about what happened on what's probably going to be in infamy referred to as one six twenty one. And I make the point. I don't care. I don't care what how it happened. I don't care why it happened. I don't care who outside of myself is benefiting from it. I want to know how I can benefit from that because there are there are obviously people out there who are really upset and feel betrayed. Um, I was in I was in the Baltimore area this past week, I was actually in Baltimore when this happened and (laughs) coming back on the plane on Friday, there were in the airport, there were a lot of people who obviously, I mean, they were still wearing their Trump gear were headed back home and you could just see on their faces just how defeated they were. I mean, these weren't the quote unquote insurrectionists. These are people who went there for the rally. And a lot of them were older, but you could just see in their faces, there was nothing. They were, they were, they almost had like that fog of war look in their eyes. Like they're going home and they've lost and there's nothing left and they're defeated. Well, there's a lot of people out there like that. And in order to, 
it's like you said, agorism is about freeing the individual. The, but that's a dangerous life. It's a dangerous life. I mean, just ask, I mean, Randy Weaver was not an agorist, but he was a white separatist who went to 20 minutes south of the Canadian border in Idaho to be left alone. They didn't leave him alone. They didn't. And we can't assume that because we do this and we do that and you know we have this strategy and we read Konkin over and over again that they're not going to come for you. I mean, there there's every reason to believe, especially what we've seen in the last nine, 10 months and the kind of rhetoric that's happening now that they are, that they're going to come for certain people. So to me, it's the old fashioned strength in numbers. The more people we have on our side, the more people we have thinking like us, um, the more people we have willing to stand up to it, the better chance we have of making it through this other than, you know, running away on an Island. Do you, uh, do you think like John Bush's freedom cells uh, has potential for um, helping build this? Why? I, I guess my, 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 my big question is why, uh, why the Mises caucus and not something like freedom cells, or is it just kind of a both and thing? I was at a freedom cell meeting last night. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> so what, yeah. So what's the, what's the, what's the goal, I guess, of the Mises caucus right now? It's everything. Right now, the way I look at it, you know, bringing up again the last 10 months is there is a full court press towards World Economic Forum, Great Reset, 2030, you won't own anything, um, complete power over the people. I mean, technocratic, uh, you know, a medical industrial complex, technocratic, complete control. And anything that you can possibly do. You know, and here's one of the reasons why I, one of the main reasons I decided to get back with the, with the Mises caucus is because the articles that I was writing, I was assured that I was on the same page with the leadership of the Mises caucus. And you know, <laughs> the leadership of the Mises caucus told me we were on the same page. And Over the last year, over the last nine, 10 months, what I've been doing is I've been getting my affairs in order. I mean, getting out of debt, getting, I mean, just basically building up food rations, water, you know, cryptocurrency, all this stuff. And I've, I feel pretty confident where I am right now. So I'm looking for something else to do and the other else. Well, I mean, besides a freedom cell, which I love the people involved are amazing. Mm -hmm. The, um, the idea of being able to take over a political party where the message is going to be changed from looting businesses is we're not going to talk about that. We're not even going to criticize that. But when the Basilica of statism gets attacked, we're going to, we're going to defend that because, you know, you're such good libertarians that, you know, my whole thing was if they would have went into that capital, burnt it to the ground and in Minecraft, taken out a couple politicians. What am I supposed to cry? Yeah. Uh, those people, those people are warmongers. They're murderers. They're thieves. They're deviants. 
I'm not going to cry for them any more than if there was a building full of child of of um of pedophiles and it burnt to the ground. In Minecraft. In Minecraft. Uh out of Minecraft, you know, I mean when when they burned down the the Minneapolis Police Department, uh you know, I was I was giddy. Uh, I mean <laughs> I was smiling. I was I was I was watching it on Facebook because, you know, I probably wouldn't have attended it even though I live here. Um but uh it just so happened that that we had been down in Dallas and but we had friends who were there, you know, live streaming it. It was you could you could feel it even over even over Facebook. Um, so but, you know, back in back in the world of Minecraft, what um, the, the LP has kind of been beating that, uh, you know, every every libertarian signs a pledge to reject political violence. Um, what, what do you what do you make of that? Well, every, <laughs> that's not what they do. Right. When you join the LP, you agree to the non-aggression principle. Okay. Let's talk about what the non-aggression principle says. The non-aggression principle says that you get violence. You, it is okay to return violence when somebody is committing violence against you. So if your next door neighbor came over, Say you you live next to a mobster. You know, I'm from New York. I mean, I've met like real life. Mo- I've met a Bonanno. Okay. <laughs> it, it It's, it's wild there. It's, it's a total, it's like a totally different person. You're meeting someone like it with an aura that you've never met before. You know, that's not normal. And so say that they came over and, you know, every Friday, you had a business and they said, you know, I'm going to need 40% of your profits. Would you have a right to defend yourself against that? Violently. I think that most people would say yes. Okay. So now that it is the state, a because there's documents in a sealed case somewhere that were signed by dead people, that, you know, apparently they thought they had a contract with each other, but I mean, they don't know me. How could they speak for me? That now, because these people who steal your money, kill people in your name and claim your name, even if you don't think that they're doing it in your name, they're claiming, they're saying, we're doing this for America and you're an American, so you have to get behind it and throw people in jail because of plants and have you know those politicians have sovereign immunity so they can never be charged for what they do they have their stormtroopers on the ground who have um qualified immunity and basically set up rules that you know they can march into your house the wrong house kill you kill your whole family and they're going to go home at night um because it was a mistake and you know maybe you pulled you pulled the gun because you had no idea it was a cop and everything and um yeah. Is it political is self-defense against people, political violence, people like that. If a cop busts in your door and you didn't do anything wrong, is it political violence? If you shoot him? I, yeah, I don't think that's political violence. I think that, you know, if, <laughs> if every business owner in this country who got closed down because the government, you know, it, it's funny how, um, 
Trump getting kicked off of Twitter, you have all these Lalberts coming in and going, you know, it's a private company. Private companies oh can do whatever they private companies can do whatever <laughs> they want. Well, except apparently open their doors for the last 10 months. Private companies can't do that, but they can do whatever they want, right? Oh, except open. So private, I mean, this private company, if you're going to pull the private company shit, at least be consistent, okay? Um, Yeah, I mean, if every private business owner who is out of business lost everything because their governor closed down the state, decided to take up arms and go against the the capital in Minecraft. Is that political violence or is that justice? I mean, everything that they worked for was destroyed and they're not getting any recompense. If somebody, if your neighbor down the street blew your home up, you would expect recompense of some sort. No, I don't understand. Political violence is just, it's a scare term. It's, oh, if you're doing political violence. No, it's called violence. Okay. And the only question is, when is violence okay? That's the only question. It's not when is political violence. It's when is violence okay? That's the only question that needs to be answered. Yeah. And I think that, you know, before we get accused of inciting, um, you know, the, there are plenty of consequentialist reasons, like not to engage in self-defense sure. against the government. I mean, sure. you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend to anyone listening to this show that they go and storm the capital of the United States or their state because it's a stupid thing to do. Yeah, um, and you don't. I mean, it's Sun Tzu. You don't start a war that, you know, you can't you know, you're going to lose. Yeah. You only go to war if you know you're going to win. Who's who's winning the meme war right now? Is there one? I mean, I I think there is. I, I and you know, if you look if you look at Twitter and you I mean, just go look at any of the businesses that decided to reopen in defiance of their governor's mandates. All of the comments are Oh, I, I hope you're happy. You killed half your customers, and to me, that's that's. Uh, I, I'm a little I'm a little bearish on the meme war right now. Well, I mean, yeah, a meme can be many things. You know, when we talk about memes, usually we're talking about a picture with words on it. But oh, I mean, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm more I'm more referring to like memetics, like the thought. Oh like, yeah, the, memet- yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Well, I mean, the left, obviously. I mean, the the lockdowners, the the anti-political violence people, um, the ones who have seized the high ground like they always have, mm-hmm. where anybody who's going against their... I mean, if you're looking at narrative, I mean, meme is a better word, I, I think, is, at this point, is narrative. You know, is who controls the narrative? Well, the left always always controls the narrative always they have the press they have the universities they have the deep state so they always control the narrative so looking at i mean i think that you just have to the only way out of this is you know 
talk about, let's go back to magic coming up with a better narrative. You have to come up with a narrative that is better. You know, I've been talking about in my articles that if libertarians are not seizing upon this opportunity to try and get all the disaffected Trump voters on their side, and one of the main narratives that you want to use with them, even I don't care if you think the, the election was stolen or not. I mean, it, it, that, that doesn't matter. They believe it was stolen. I mean, you if 75 million people voted for Trump, safe estimate is 40 million of them um, believe that Trump actually won. The election was stolen. Why aren't you seizing upon that? Why aren't you? Why isn't the message? If you think it was stolen four years from now, what makes you think they're not going to steal it again? Why wouldn't you want to come over to a side that is ready to go to war with the state, throw bombs at the state metaphorically and try to ex- you know, expose them for what they are? And why wouldn't you do that? Why, why wouldn't you seek that? Why? Because you know, some of them may hold um, positions at this moment in time that you don't agree with. I mean, yeah, I, I hold positions that I'm sure Dave Smith and, and I know, know Scott Horton don't agree with. That's fine. They hold positions that I don't agree with. That's fine. Somehow we all get along. Yeah. No, so, that's somehow a- we get along. That's really important to point out too. When you said you, you mentioned crafting a better narrative, that's not that's not policy proposals and facts and logic and and all the stuff that nobody cares about. Yeah, it I is mean, a message. It is, it, and that message doesn't necessarily have to be true. Right. Better doesn't it, it, better doesn't mean <laughs> logical. It just yeah. means it just means more more effective. Yeah. It, more, and that's it. There is. As far as I'm concerned, libertarianism, let's call it 50 years old. Let's say it started with the Libertarian Party. And I'm not going to go back to Ayn Rand because she hated libertarian. She hated the term libertarian. And she would she would have hated for anyone to call her that. Let's let's call it with the the establishment. David Nolan. I mean, really, what's been what narrative has worked? What narrative has worked in the last 50 years that has moved the needle, has changed culture, has given people a culture of liberty none coming out of that that faction and what's even worse is in the last few years they've just basically adopted the the messaging of the progressive left well i mean i there's only two reasons i think they can they do that is they think that because that messages is work that message is working for you know the mainstream or you know the corporate I'll let me call it the corporate mainstream that it'll work for them, but it won't because you're not, you're not willing to um, bend on your principles that much or that message has been adopted by the libertarian party to marginalize the libertarian party and to marginalize the term libertarian, which I think is more realistic. I, I think it is unrealistic to think that forces like alphabet agencies, forces like, um, you know, movements, just cathedral, people within the cathedral. I think it's stupid to think that they wouldn't infiltrate the third largest party in the country, no matter what, you know, no matter, I don't care if they're only, if they got 1% of the vote or they got 5% of the vote or however much percent of the vote, Um, you want to marginalize your enemy, even, you know, it's like, 
when somebody wants to monopolize business, they're going to destroy all they're they're going to try and destroy all of their competitors. They don't care how small they are. So, you know, the two parties going at you know, seizing upon the libertarian party to infiltrate it. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibilities. I don't even think it's a, um, I I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's what a Machiavellian would do. Yeah. And I mean, not only outside the realm of possibility, but it's almost a, it's almost a certainty. You just, you just have to look, you just have to look like it. it, um, Oh, uh, so I guess you mentioned earlier that you spent 2020 getting out of debt, stockpiling water, um, I would assume arming up. Uh, oh, I was already there. Yeah, already. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I got, I got a couple more things, but they were more really, it was like, I don't really want to buy any more guns, but it's like, I think the price on them is going to go up. So they were, <laughs> they were actually investments more than anything. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what a lot of people are saying, you know, don't invest in gold or crypto invest in ammo. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that far gone yet. Or not far gone, but far down the rabbit hole or whatever. I wouldn't tell people not to buy crypto. I wouldn't tell people not to buy gold. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not a gold Wahhabist, and I'm not a a a, um, crypto Wahhabist. So, um, (laughs) you know, I'm not a gold maximalist or or a a Bitcoin maximalist. So, you know, I think people should do whatever they feel comfortable doing. Really, I got get 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 educated and be comfortable with what you're doing. Um, I did, and I did get out of stocks and and um, fiat investments last year. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's, that, that, that was a bad move. <laughs> well, no, I, I did. I didn't do it until, until later in the year. Uh, it was, it was fine. I, I, I was up, I was up over a hundred percent. And so I was like, no. you know what, you know what, yeah. screw it. I'm, I'm out of this. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to take my profits. Cause I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, seriously. So last time you were on, I asked you what ref, what recommendations or strategies you have for, um, agorists and your advice was well uh you either get in bed with the state or you start engaging in counter economics um what knowing now i mean it's only been a couple of months but holy shit i mean it's just gotten worse gotten worse what a what 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 would you say to the the person who is in debt and is living in the middle of a city uh, get out. Well, okay. We get out of debt and get out of the city. You're going to just get out of the city first. Just by getting out of the city, you're going to save money. I mean, cities are always more expensive to live in than than rural. And then I would say, just once you do that, you have all this extra income. Don't spend it. Get out of debt. And while you're doing that, stockpile as much as you can. Um, I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't tell people not to, you know, get political until they do that. But you know, really, I, the only reason I decided to get political again was because I had taken care of myself. I had gotten mm-hmm. to the point where I was very comfortable with what I did, and I'm comfortable with what I have at this point. So I can focus my energy in other directions now, and you know, I think that the political if you want to call it that i mean you know it's i mean the libertarian party is not you know i mean i I hear i I see hyperbolic language like 
well, you know, you just you just want to be a different kind of king. Well, suck my dick. I mean, come on, just stop, <laughs> just stop with the bullshit. You know, stop being a fucking twelve year old. You know, and, and you know, what's funny is there are so many agorists out there who are maximalists. They're agorist maximalists. It's like this is the only way we're gonna. This is the only way to defeat the state. It's like. I looked at the Soviet Union, they had a pretty good black market and the black market definitely helped. But there was also this thing called perestroika and perestroika helped to topple that regime as well. And that was perestroika was completely political. It was economic to a certain extent, but it was mostly about politics. It was, you know, Gorbachev going and talking with Reagan and Gorbachev looking at the the commun satellite countries, you know, Ceausescu in 1989 going, I need help here. They're going to kill me. And them going, it's on you, dude. Yeah. Take care of yourself. You know, and you know, I, politics helped a lot in that. So you know, I'm pretty much at the point now where as long as I think it could be a little bit helpful, it's throw shit against the wall and see what sticks kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the, I, I read the other day and I, I, I can't remember where, but, uh, you know, the USSR had the West bearing down on it. It, it, and there, there is no West to the West. Like we don't have someone, um, yeah. there, you're not going there. There's it's, it would be an impossibility for like Joe Biden to have, to have a perestroika that, uh, uh, the, the sort of collection of policies that, that, that Gorbachev did that, you know, led to a sort of as peaceful as possible dissolution. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, but, you know, po- politics from within, I think getting local, I think that you are really going to see a federalist movement that where s- certain states are going to fight back, certain yeah. localities are going to fight back. And, you know, and like I said, agorism is a huge part of it. It's going to be it's the way you're going to take care of yourself. It's a way you're going to get through you're going to get through times. It's going to be a major component of it, but to make the claim that just because Sam Konkin was anti-politics, that agorists have to be anti-politics. It's an opinion. Yeah. It cannot be proven. I mean, you can't prove that. Correct. It's, it's, it's your opinion. And I value people's opinions and I want to listen to people's opinions, but normally when opinions like that come out, they're just draped in so much hyperbole. It's kind of hard not to see it as that is to not see it as hyperbole or to see it as basically an attack upon the person who is going against the orthodoxy. Yeah. And that's the big thing. I mean, orthodoxy and dogmatism uh, are sort of rampant in any movement, um, but especially ours that was sort of founded by philosophers. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I posted something the other day on Facebook. Um, uh, it, you know, it was about corporatism or corporations or something like that. And one of the comments, and I think this guy really, really thought he was making a good point was, you know, Rothbard would disagree with that. Appeal to, uh, appeal to authority. Yeah. So, um, well, and so, okay. Speaking of philosophers, uh, really, really graceful transition. You commented the other day on something that angles changed your mind on collapsitarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, how come? What, what, what's, what's that thesis? Well, it's funny. I, 
Bird and I actually have a word wrapping up our philosophy episodes. So we're going to do five. We're, we're going to end this with five more on my podcast. And then he's going to continue the philosophy episodes on his podcast. Oh, fantastic. Um, Those are- what Engels said was that in order to achieve what they wanted to achieve, they were going to have to take over the means of production. They were going to have to arm the proletariat against the bourgeoisie and they were it was a process basically to take down the state to make the state the wor- the term that always comes uh, comes up when it comes when it, with lenin was the w- state would wither away after you had a dictatorship of the proletariat and then the bourgeoisie was no longer there most likely probably lined up against the wall and you know, at, over time it would wither away and i think that i think stalin actually said it would take 20 years um what I agree, and the reason they said that they had to do this, and the reason why Engels and Lenin hated the anarchists was the anarchists just wanted to overthrow the state. And the reason they said that you don't just overthrow the state and that way, all like overnight, is because the same people who run the state, the same people who are in power, the same people who have all of you know, control the means of production everyone's going to panic and just look to them. And basically there, those people are going to be back right back in power because that's who they're going to look to. They're going to look to the powerful. They're going to look to the ones who have all, who have the means. And so he said it had to be a process and, you know, his process, their process was completely wrong in my opinion. I mean, it's even more utopian than, um, you know, I think what, believing that the state would disappear tomorrow and then we'd have anarcho-capitalism the next day. I think that's as utopian as um, an idea as um, the way they wanted to do it, the process they wanted to do it in their 20 year process. My, so when I look at it is if you want to defeat the state, if you want to get the state to be toothless, I mean, I don't think, I don't know their state's ever going to go away, but you can make a state very powerless. And I think the way you're going to do that is you're going to do it with technology and you're just going to do it with finding ways to replace systems that are in power right now with peaceful solutions, peaceful technological solutions. And that's going to take generations. It's going to, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I've, I've heard the argument recently because I've made the argument. I've come to the conclusion that we may never see like an anarchist society unless you have like a switch in evolution. And the argument has been made to me that if in 1840, you had said that in 25 years, we'd have no slavery, people would have thought you were crazy. My response to that is that, as much as people don't want to hear this, slavery was a government program. Getting rid of a government program is very difficult, as anyone can tell you. Getting rid of a government program is very difficult, but they got rid of a government program. Getting rid of a government program is a whole lot different than getting rid of the government. It's kind of, it's, you know, know, it's like if you... Like in my company, we had a um, we recently shut down a division of the company. Okay, 
the shutting down of the division of that company was a lot easier than destroying the company. You know, it, it was that section of that company by getting rid of it, we weren't going to destroy the whole company. You know, so, you know, if like the person who made that decision to get rid of that division was able to do it very easily with a phone call, the person, if that person decided to make a phone call and say, we want to shut down the company, the CEO is going to be like, um, are you insane? You know, so, I mean, that that's not a perfect that's not a perfect analogy, but it is analogous when you consider that the government is a company. Well, and and, and beyond that, I mean, shutting down that division was a strategic de- decision to make yeah. the company more powerful and more profitable. I mean, yeah. Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> I don't want to get too much into history, but Abraham Lincoln didn't start out the Civil War wanting to abolish slavery. I mean, Correct. he he made it an abolitionist thing in order to attract uh, more soldiers for the Union. Uh, specifically yeah. freed slaves. Sure. I mean, sure. I mean, most people don't know that because they don't, that you're not going to get that in your McGraw Hill textbook, but no, of course um, not. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they didn't, it, the South, one of the reasons the South left was for slavery. You know, there's also the tariff issue and everything, but um, to say that Lincoln invaded the South to free the slaves is to just be ahistorical. I mean, it's just, it didn't happen. And you can't, you can't prove it happened by, especially if you go back and look what he was saying and what he wrote at the time. So, um, yeah. Um, so what is, what does lobbing bombs metaphorically look like? Is it, I mean, is it just, is it just memes or is it? Oh, no. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it's getting onto, it's getting onto major media platforms and saying things and making claims that cannot be ignored. I mean, that somebody's going to follow up on that. The media is not, it, <laughs> is okay. What? Wait, but you can't say that. You have to. You have to back it up. Things like that, um, <clears throat> saying, calling them out, basically speaking the truth of who they are. So, and, like what what Dave was doing on CNN when he was on there, uh, sure. but just writ large. Yeah, but also, if you have somebody who's a representative of a political party doing that, whether it be the chair, whether it be a can, whether it be a presidential candidate, a vice presidential candidate. And they're out there not saying what is Aleppo, but instead saying, you know, the government is a bunch of thieves and murderers writ large. That's kind of, it. it, it it's sort of a different message and it's going to attract attention. It, it, it just, it can't help but do it. So, you know, I think that that has a lot, a lot to do with it. You know, um, of course, my, me- you know, whoever is taking this message to the mainstream media, my message, I would be crafting them much differently and much, it would be much worse if it was just me writing it. So, you know, maybe I'll write something and then somebody will edit it down to something where it's not like, okay, this guy's, um, you know, looking for blood and everything. But, you know, I think veiled threats are a good idea. I I think veiled threats and um, constant talk of secession, constant talk of breaking it up. That's just hard to ignore. Constant talks of decentralization, Mm -hmm. 
constant thoughts of people should ignore the 202 area code altogether and pretend that it doesn't exist and just go about your lives. I think those are great messages that are going to be hard to ignore. That's great. How, what uh, what do you think it'll take to, I mean, look, right now you've got Robbie Suave as sort of the, the face of libertarianism on Fox and Matt Welch as sort of the face of libertarianism on MSNBC and CNN, as far as I know, just ignores it. Um, how do you, how do you get out of that libertarianism equals reason um, and, you know, nicks our work every so often? You, you just present a different message. You present, and this is when you'll know the message has changed. When Matt Welch and Robbie Suave are invited onto those shows to talk about the message that is being delivered from the Libertarian mm. Party, where they're going, does this sound insane to you? Does this sound like libertarianism? And then they have to they have to defend the Reason Magazine, the Beltway libertarianism that the LP is going to be preaching against. That's when you'll know that avenues are being carved, that messages are making it through and messages are affecting the ones that they the ones that are people are going um the groups and the institutions and the cathedrals that people are going after yeah that's fantastic i'm uh so yeah i'm excited i i i've never been an actual member of lpmc um but i've always been a fellow traveler uh i do want to be respectful of your time so is there is there anything you want to plug uh aside from what we've already talked about uh, yeah, obviously, if you go to the Amazon Prime app, um, Amazon Prime Video, the Monopoly on Violence is there. You can tell your grandma to watch it. And uh, my Airbnb host this uh, this past week, she she texted me this morning and told me she was watching it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, yep, Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I'm gonna have uh, you know, well, by the time this comes out, Biting the Bullet guys are have been on, and that's just go back and listen, listen to that episode with the biting the bullet guys. They're, they're amazing. And they're, um, that is a wild conversation. And then, um, going to have a former prison guard on, on Wednesday, giving you a behind the scenes, look at the, the, the insane violent bureaucracy that is the prison system and in ways that in very colorful language. And then, uh, Friday, it looks like we'll end up with, uh, doing our, first part of Marxist Leninism with Byrd and um, looking at dialectical materialism and going into what Lenin's, how Lenin viewed um, Marxism. And then after that, we're going to do Stalin. After that, we're going to do Mao. After that, we're going to do Guzman. And then we're going to end up with a very secret number five that will end the series on my podcast of me and bird doing philosophy. And um, I think people are really going to like number five because um, it's one of those people who started out as a Marxist and uh, switched over and um, <laughs> a, a beloved figure. Nice. Well, I can't wait. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, Pete. And I will talk to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, James. Thank you very much. Yeah. See ya. All right. Thanks again to Pete for joining me today. As promised at the beginning of the show, here is the trailer for The Greater Reset, an event being put on by John Bush of Brave Botanicals, The Live Free Now Show, and of course, episode number 12 of the Urban Agorist podcast, um, and Derek Bros of The Conscious Resistance, who will be coming on this show in the next couple of weeks. 
I hope you'll join me at the Greater Reset. Make sure you hit up greaterreset.org to sign up. It's a free event and you won't want to miss it. So here's the trailer and I'll be right back on the other side of it. As we wake up to a new normal today and life is slowly grinding to a halt. Now masks are becoming the new normal. Americans are facing a new normal. One that may include losing their jobs, losing their income, and even losing their health insurance. I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal. It's time to reject the new normal. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system. It's time to reject the Great Reset. It's time to support the People's Reset. It's time for the Greater Reset. From January 25th to the 29th, journalists, activists, researchers, and advocates are hosting the Greater Reset Activation, a five-day event dedicated to offering an alternative to the World Economic Forum's top-down, centralized, authoritarian vision. Our desire is to help all people find community and liberty by providing practical steps and knowledge for co-creating a world that respects individual liberty, bodily autonomy, and choice. The Greater Reset is the world's collective response to the World Economic Forum's initiative, The Great Reset. We invite you to join us for five days of discussion about the diverse opportunities available for those who seek to live in harmony with humanity and the planet while respecting our innate freedom. Each day is dedicated to a different domain and provides solutions to the WEF's vision. Day one is dedicated to the Agora and decentralized economics. Tuesday the 26th will focus on health and education. Day three will focus on nature, permaculture, and regenerative agriculture. Thursday the 28th will highlight the liberating side of digital technology, including encryption, blockchain, and decentralized autonomous organizations. On Friday, January 29th, we will end the event by showcasing examples of intentional communities, freedom cells, and community organizing. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from some of the most powerful speakers in the world with a focus on solutions. We encourage everyone to organize local watch parties in your area using freedomcells.org. Also, find out more about the Greater Getaway in-person event in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Visit thegreaterreset.org for more information. All right, that's that. I will put links to all of Pete's stuff along with The Greater Reset, along with some material on The Great Reset, which The Greater Reset is uh, being organized in response to. And I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. Until then, live free.